Pushkin. Run them jewels fast. Run them, run them jewels fast. Run them, run them, run them, run them, run them. Fuck the slow mo. Run the Jewels stormed into hip hop with a big sound in 2014, and over the last six years, they've only turned the energy up. Killer Mike and LP weren't strangers to anyone following hip hop over the last couple of decades. Each made waves in their individual careers prior to forming the group. But there's something irresistible about these two guys from different ends of the hip hop spectrum coming together. Killer Mike's a brash, politically charged rapper from Atlanta with a tight connection to Outkast and the Dungeon Family. And LP's a white New York MC and producer known mostly from the underground. Together, they have a combustible energy as they rap about revolution, weed, or just boasting about themselves. They've also waded into the world of politics in very meaningful ways. Killer Mike was a surrogate for Bernie Sanders this last election, and in turn, Bernie introed them at Coachella just a few years ago. What I'm trying to say is, this is a group that's hard to put in a box. Run the Jewels' fourth album comes out soon. They spent some time recording it at Shangri-La, and during a break from one of those sessions, they caught up with Rick Rubin. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Run the Jewels in conversation with Rick Rubin. Killer Mike turns up a little bit late, so LP and Rick got to talking first. And because LP was freshly stoned, the conversation starts in an unexpected place. What LP would do during the apocalypse. So just a moment ago, you were theorizing yeah. on if if there was an apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. I was I always I always like worry about like my post-apocalyptic career, you know, like what do I have to offer a post-apocalyptic society? And I don't know if it's much. It's certainly not like brute strength. <laughs> like, uh, you know, maybe I could, you know, and I don't, you know, I'd probably be just some sort of like subjugated gesture, you know, like Princess Leia chained to Jabba the Hutt, you know, like, uh, but maybe hopefully without a bikini on. And, uh, just and I'm always just like, survivors. yeah, just entertaining for food. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just entertaining for your life. And then I'm like, well, but then again, but I'm I'm not really a musician, you know. Like I I I I make music, but like you know, I didn't follow through with the piano lessons. I didn't follow through with the trumpet lessons and the saxophone lessons, all of that shit. I tried it, you know. My father was a, a jazz piano player. He was a, he was that was what he did. And I tried, but I was like, I remember standing in front of the mirror with a saxophone and trying to play along to like run DMC jams. And I was just like, I looked at myself one day and I was just like, I can't do this. I have to put this down. Like, I could, like this is ridiculous. I look stupid. And, and I just can't feel cool doing this. Like, I need to learn how to make that. I need to learn how to make this music. Like, I can't, like, I'm not going to make it with a saxophone, you know? Are your first memories of music your dad playing? For sure. So would he play in the house all the time? Yeah, we had a, um, you know, they lived in a, we lived in the West Village until I was until my parents split up. So I was there until about six, and it was in the seventies, and it was parties and you know like seventies parents didn't give a shit, they didn't give a fuck, and I kind of wish it was like that again. But like, they would have crazy parties, you know, probably fucking doing cocaine and definitely drinking and smoking weed and crazy art you know just rambunctious parties and people like robert crumb 
wow. would show up to the to the parties and shit. And I was just a little kid, and my father had a piano and a little drum set, grand piano and a drum set, and a huge record collection. And he would he would have me sit down and play drums with him while he while he he played piano for the guests. And Amazing. He's a he's a he's a born entertainer. You know, I I, I it was. And 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 so it was that which was really interesting because I I started to identify it, it as a phenomenon later where I was like oh I get it like from a very early age I had music in my life as something that you participate in not just something that you witness you know because of my father and because there was a drum set and because I would sit on his lap and play piano with him it was something that you just did. You know, it wasn't like some like mysterious thing that just happened. It was yeah. something that that you that I felt comfortable with immediately. You know, because it was just like didn't feel embarrassing or weird or like a stretch yeah. to try and make music. Eventually, when I started to try and make music, it felt like a natural extension of what you're supposed to do yeah. when you have that in your life. So cool, so lucky to have that. It was, and 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 the other thing that I learned from him, which was really something that I take seriously and think about all the time. Was that he, you know, I, I grew up watching him play in restaurants and bars, you know, places where people didn't give a shit yeah. that he was playing. Yes. Places where people were ordering their chicken in the middle of the, you know, yeah. and he's sitting there playing, his, really playing his heart out and singing and like, and I would, I would have to, when I visited him, this is when I would see this, you know, I would go, you know, divorced parents, you go visit your, your dad and, and, and. I would have, he'd have to go do these gigs. And so I'd sit at a restaurant drinking Shirley Temples and watching my dad basically just eat shit. There was something really uncomfortable and, and even sad about it. Like it's sad to me because I was like, oh. my dad's up there. These people are barely paying attention yeah. and I'm here to watch my dad play. Was it sad for him at all, do you think? Well, I mean, that's kind of what, what, what my point is. I feel like in the moment it wasn't. And in the moment he was, I mean, maybe a little frustrating on occasion, but in the moment he closed his eyes and he'd play piano, he'd like pull a melodica up and do like a solo and he'd be singing. And and I knew that he was happy in that in that moment. And I watched him do this over and over. And I, I it was always, it always hurt my heart a little bit because I was, you know, it's my dad and he's singing and I want everybody to to pay attention or whatever. But he needed it. He needed to do it and it made him happy. And, and doing that and, and being able to sit at a piano was something that it didn't matter that it wasn't a career. It didn't matter that it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't about accolades or it wasn't really even, it was, it was just that it was something he really needed. And I always held that with me because I was like, hey man, if you can be happy just doing music, like it really, it's a really good, if you can find that, if you can really find being happy just doing music, then whatever happens, happens with your career. You know what I mean? Like whatever may happen. Yeah. Um, it would suck to, 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 if your career didn't exist to all of a sudden if the music didn't exist, you know? So, and that ties back to the apocalypse thing because I'm like, well, after the apocalypse, you know, Mike will probably be like a warlord. I mean, That's what I'm shooting for. Yeah. Or just to upload my brain into a computer and, and I'm roll. talking like society's crumbled. There's no more computers. It's just like, man, oh, yeah. no electricity. Yeah, I'm the leader of no a tribe. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, and I'm just like, well, I always think about like, well, what are my talents in a post-apocalyptic uh, landscape? You know what I mean? Beatboxing. Right. Like, I love, like, it's like a court gesture type of thing. Like, like it's not going to be muscle. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it'll be brains, but probably not. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably, you know, that's probably a delusion on my behalf. And, and, and so I'm like, damn, 
I better I better pick up the instruments again quick because <laughs> shit is progressing. You know, like I need to get back on these piano lessons because, uh, you know, I, we might not be able to plug in the fucking drum machine. I guess that's what I'm saying, Rick. You the shit, bro. Yeah. What was it? What did, records did your dad listen to? Uh, he was a big Fats Waller fan. That was his shit. Um, he just it was he was jazz head. But he listened to a lot of shit, man. I discovered all I discovered black music through my father. My father was a jazz man, and all those records are uh, all that vinyl and everything. I just was I would just he would let me go through them, listen, put them on the turntable, listen to it. I kind of had my my free reign over that, like which is kind of amazing because record collectors usually they'll just smack you away. But my dad was cool about it as long as I didn't fuck it up. And uh, a lot of the first jams I ever sampled or anything when I finally got my hands on a sampler were from his record collection, straight up. The first thing I ever sampled and looped up was, uh, uh, you remember um, Mr. Brown? Remember uh, Bob Marley, Mr. Brown from, yeah. from pre, pre-Whalers, yeah. right? But um, yeah, that was, that was it. Beyond the digging for samples, do you think that hearing jazz at the age that you heard it informed the way you approach music at all i'm sure it did i i can only assume so i don't i i couldn't pin it down though i couldn't tell you like exactly what that was except to say that i just had an inherited appreciation for pretty really good music <laughs> i mean like I, I i just feel lucky i'm sure there's some, some you know the, right now there's some some child who's who's being exposed by, you know, to the worst music possible by their parents. You know, yeah. I, I feel like that's lo- that's luck of the draw, you know? 100%. But uh, I mean, you know, I eventually did a jazz album. I don't know if you know that. No, I, I did a jazz that. album in like 2014. It was the first time I, and, and last time I'd ever done it. Um, which is not to say I wouldn't do it again, but it was, it, they, they, these people stepped to me to do it. They, they were trying to mix things up and trying to, and um, this guy, Matthew Shipp, and, um, and it was William Parker and Matthew Shipp and a bunch of sort of free jazz, you know, um, um, sort of titans. And I, I, I don't think it was even, I did not have the skill set to produce a jazz album, but they were like, no, we just want you your version. Yeah. And and so that was and it was terrifying. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I was like, all right. <laughs> you know? Do you like the way it came out? There's moments on it, man. My father I got my father on it. Beautiful. Yeah. There's moments on it for sure. And and I think that there's a like a they got some like really, really seriously good reviews from like high end like jazz critic type shit that I was like and then there were people I mean it was very under I think it was kind of under the radar you know but but for my career it's something that if people have been following me they know that I did this and yeah there's moments that 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 are that are really cool I didn't know exactly what to do so I basically just went in and brought music and just told them to just basically improvise to my music that's truly a jazz spirit though. Yeah. I it mean is. they were they were they're anarchists. You know, the, the 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 like truly anarchists. Like all those guys are as learned and as capable of like of form and like they're they're as as the highest level musicians, but they rejected it years ago because they didn't think it was the it was the it was the true spirit of, of jazz. So they were like, no, we're gonna get in a room and we're going to we're going to sort of spontaneously together create something and we're going to move off each other and that's the free jazz movement and 
So I was like, what do you do with a bunch of people who are already just kind of like no rules? And, I, and the only thing I could think of was give them rules. So I was like, all right, well, here are some standards. <laughs> like, How, what was it like? Like, was it really cool getting your old man? Like, yeah, well, I tricked him into it. That's dope. Did I tell you about it? I never told you about that. You tell, I want you to tell the world. You've told me about it. I, oh, love, I like the story. I tricked my father into being on the record, basically, How? because I was like, listen, Dad, I'm doing this record. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you do me a favor? Can you record just off cassette or whatever? you doing some cool standards, some jazz stuff, shit that you, that you like, that you think would be cool. And, um, and he did. And, and one of the songs that he picked was this really depressing fucking song that basically is called, I think, Yesterday, uh, When the Moon Was Blue. Do you know that song? Uh, it's it's it, hearing your estra essentially estranged father sing this song is is probably one of the most like you know emotional things you can do and and he's he you know it's just all about regret it's just do you do you have the version of him singing it by any chance <laughs> it's a really good you mean the 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 original no the, oh, your, your dad's, dad's version the, my, my dad's version yeah, yeah. like the original before so yes. what i did was yes. i i had him do it and then i chopped it up and then yeah. i had them play around it and i made it. i don't know i don't know i'd be curious to hear the song yeah, I'll play you the version that it ended up being. Okay, let's do that. Here, take this. Uh, the other day, Rick was in and he was like, do you always uh, get high when you work? And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Rick. <laughs> I want to tell you the, the thing that will make you think I'm a good person, but... <laughs> There's no right answer. That's why I figured stick with the truth. I get how to go to church. <laughs> Feel the spirit. Figure I meet God halfway. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. Then I teased at life. As if it were a foolish game, the way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame, 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 flame. Thousand dreams are dreamed and splendid things are planned, but all is built to last. We could shift and sand in a thick but night. I shun the naked light of day and all. I see how years ran away Yesterday when I was young So many drinking songs were waiting To be sung in so many wayward pleasures Playing store so much pain The dazzle eyes refused to see I ran so fast
That shit is dope. Real G shit, man. That shit Beautiful. Is I'll spare you the. And your dad's voice is great. Yeah, it really is. He he uh, he brought the house down at my wedding, which is which is coming up on a year. But my dad fucking made everybody in the entire wedding cry. Wow. And that's about three hundred and fifty people. <laughs> you remember? I I that I remember. But I remember the first conversation I had with your dad via the, going back and forth for email. He let me know how proud he was of you and of us and what it meant to him. And then the first time I met him, I knew he was funny, but I didn't realize how much of a ball breaker he was. I think we were in Boston or something. He was walking down the hall. I'm the only person in the dressing room. He's in front. Other people are behind him. He said, oh, shit. Nobody told me you were black. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, I almost died laughing. And then he he capped capped the rest of the night. Which, of course, was not true. But he was... No, I know. I I totally know it was not true. I mean, mean, I'm just saying, like, he's... Laugh line. Yeah, like, he he just... Like, like, he he doesn't give a shit. I I love that. I I love that. And, And he also calls me son by proxy, so... Shouts out to the twice a year he hits me on the internet for some reason we did something cool and he lets me know he's proud of his boy. What was the music in your household growing up, Mike? Well, I grew up, um, there's a level past divorced parents and it's called My Grandparents Raised Me. So we just visited each of our parents on the weekends, you know. Um, I have five sisters, three with my dad, two with my mom, the one with two of me and my mom, with my mom, we grew up with my her parents' house. So her parents played blues and gospel, and that's what I grew up listening to. My grandmother wasn't a fan of the Def Jam records I was bringing in and the loudness of them and the rambunctiousness. So and we were raised in a really Christian household, working class black. Working class black people are pretty conservative, you yeah. know, in their values and stuff. So like at 6 o'clock on Fridays, you don't get to play bluesy music. Well, on Saturdays, blues music stopped. What, what my Secular music called, yeah, ends. It was called blues music. So yeah. any secular music ended. So it was gospel, you know what I'm yeah. saying, after that. So I'd have to sneak and listen to rap. But I grew up like really loving Buddy Guy, really loving B.B. King, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, because this is what I played, you know, it was played. My grandmother played, like she was a huge B.B. King fan. You know, she was probably how my daughter looks at Chris Brown. She loved B.B. And my grandfather loved Buddy Guy. And that's how I got into like the Chicago style stuff. So, and gospel, lots of gospel, lots of gospel, because we went to these small Pentecostal churches and the music was great. So I loved that part of church. Hated going to church. The rest of it, not yeah, so much. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, not that I hated church. It's just you're a kid. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're 10. You, you, you want to be running around. Yeah, your friends are on bikes. And, and then you had you in suits. And yeah. Oh, man, suited up. Yeah. And then Pentecostal churches, you know, women were all white and stuff. So it was really, and it's long. So it's four to six hours. You know, in church. How much of that's music? How much is music? But exactly you know, for one two and a half, second, three I hours. You said forty-six hours. No, no, it could be like four to six hours. Like you're, you go to church at ten in the morning. You might not come home to say two, four o'clock. You know what I'm saying? But in that, there's so much music throughout the church. It has to be that you that love much. it. Yeah, that you end up loving the experience. Once I get there, even though I was resistant, there were just all these incredible musicians. And when you're holding this Pentecostal, these their families that preach and that kind of go around doing revivals, that's what they do. So all these talented musicians would just kind of come through. So gospel music, Shirley Caesar, James Cleveland, of course, yeah. um, Mahalia Jackson. Very, Shirley Caesar's incredible. Still. Yeah. Like still unbelievable. Right. Aretha, we could listen to by technicality because yeah. she, she was gospel and, and Al Green was big. And my mom was 16 when she had me. 
My mom married, I have two dads. I have a non-bio and a bio dad. So my mom married my dad, um, my non-bio dad, I think at about 19 years old, maybe. So I was about three, maybe going on four. And when she left, you know, she left to take me and my grandmother was like, nah, y'all go off and be married and learn how to be married and, you know, make more children. And so I stayed with my grandmother. My mom left me a huge record collection. Curtis Mayfield. Wow. Um, Harold Melvin and the Blue Nose. I'm just like a lot of stack stuff. So when my grandmother would shut the music down in the house, meaning, you know, you could play music. You had you couldn't play the radio in the main room. Yes. You, I couldn't bump run and down, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm so I had to go to my room and my mom left me like a, what they would call component sets. You put the wax on and I I listened to like all the soul and all the funk. And then my dad my non-bio dad who she married was a huge parliament fan, P-Funk. And he um, he just, man, he was one of the best human beings in the world. I tell people all the time, like, man, I, his capacity to love a kid, biologically, it's not his kid. Yeah. But I fucked up his toy car collection. I scratched records trying to be a DJ. And he was just, he was like his, his, his basically his kind of like you. He was always just on some chill shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I can... I can I can remember playing two live crew back to back to back. And finally he came in like and took the tape. He just took the tape. He said, I'm only taking this because you keep rewinding the same part. And he just walked out. And and two live crew had that bass too. You know, yes, like that was man. the that was they were like so vented it. He encouraged my music. And I didn't realize until a couple years ago, I probably got my aesthetic from rock and roll from my biological dad who you know, who was just like introduced me to rock, let me, encouraged me to listen to Metallica, was not surprised that I love Zeppelin, Zeppelin and Sabbath and stuff. The Eagles um, was big. Pink Floyd, he introduced me to, um, he liked Bon Jovi. I never did so much. Not that I didn't like him. I just, yeah. he was really into him. It was dad rock to me. I had a different rock entry. It was my older sister was mostly. Was that, yeah. She, she's, a, she's a straight teen in the 70s. Oh, she was chilling. <laughs> so, but that, but for me, it was like, Young, it was like the Clash, you know. What I mean, yeah. it was it was like Devo, you know. Ultimately, the Police, yeah, um, yeah. You know, um, that was, and that was my bio dad. He was like he he really let me be free, and I realized later, Gang like for shit like that, he talks and rhyme. So I probably picked up my ability to put words together easily from him. Wow. Like if you ask him, like you know, they call him Big Mike. Of course, he's the oldest. I'm I'm Nup in my family. My daughter's Mikey. But they'll be like, you know, Big Mike, how you doing, man? I'm pretty fat for a square, you know. We got somewhere. Uh, and, and it'll just be like, you know, I I, I got somewhere to be. I'm going to get there for, for three. Just it's, And it just effortlessly pours out of him. And I realize as I get older, just hanging with my dad, I probably just kind of picked up a knack for it. So cool. So, you know, my and parents- it, And this were, was pre-hip-hop, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to think about it. I'm, I'm like, you know, this is 78, 79. Hip-hop was still something that was my parents then. Yes. Like, so you got, when you hear Grandmaster Flash, Furious 5, yeah. Curtis Blow, I remember him coming to the Omni, performing for the Hawks. Yeah. Even Houdini, all that was my parents' hype. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it was it was music that I liked. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, my mom, I knew, like, I loved Donna Summer because she liked Donna Summer, right? Big disco. My mom's a free artist, partier. But she'd play like the, the Furious Five, and she'd play Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five, she'd play Curtis. I'm like, I like this. It's different from your regular music, but it's still your music. You know, yes. they were still wearing dress shoes, like silk yes. shirts. And it pit, everything pivoted to me with Run and Jay. When, when, I, when those black, Same. Dinner, and when it hit, it was just like, oh, this is it not my mother's. It was over. This is, and yeah, Fat Boys. Yeah, like, and fa exactly. And it was like Fat Boys running them. 
it was just like, nah, this is not the same. Even though I still love the yes. other acts and stuff, if this felt like mine. We kind of have the spirit to model ourselves after Run DMC in a real way. Like, and, and one of the one, I mean, we're literally in all black denim on stage. Like two, you know, two, two MCs and a DJ. Like we believe because of Run DMC that this this we you can rock a fucking stadium Absolutely. with two rappers and a DJ. Yeah, you yeah. don't need a fucking band, and there's and and maybe you can rock it better than a band ever could if you if you get it right. Absolutely. If you're a titan, and but I remember just seeing Run, first of course the music, but but also just seeing Run DMC and being like they they they're clearly got they're they're clearly cooler than most people yeah. that you see. They're better dressed yeah. yes. than most people, but it's still better dressed normal shit, yeah. and it's like. I was like, it made you feel like you could be a part of Run DMC. It made Absolutely. you feel like if you tried, yeah. you might actually, they might, you might, you could probably do that. Like, yeah, I could probably put on that hat and and wear that cool jean jacket and 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 those sneakers. I like, you know, the I way, like Adidas. The way they ended up, I actually just uh, talked to DMC recently in an interview like this. And he's so amazing. He's great. And he was telling me the way that they ended up dressing like that was because that's the way Jay, Jam Master Jay dressed in real life. Yeah, I heard and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they saw him and it's like, he's the coolest guy we know. Let's just dress <laughs> like him. It infected us too, you know what I mean? And and this many years later and like, uh, but I, it, it's always something that I keep with me because I feel like I, that's how I want people who listen to our music to feel. I want them to feel not like we're, that they are gazing at something untouchable, that that they're two, here are two guys telling you about uh, about them, you know, their lives that you couldn't possibly imagine being a part of. I, I like the fact that um, kids can, you know, I hope that kids can kind of feel like, man, we could be run the jewels, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. these guys aren't flashy. Like, these guys are, they're not above us, you know? Um, so I don't know, that always stuck with me and, and that just got me into it. That that was what got me into thinking I could be a rapper. You know, like, oh shit, maybe I can be a rapper. I mean, yeah. I, I was rapping at 10, so. This is me, I've, I've drug a pair of Adidas shell toes without the laces. <laughs> <laughs> That's you? In like fourth picture. grade. That's an amazing That's so picture. incredible. On field day, with my dad, my dad got his picture. Um, as, no as we did field day. shoelaces. No shoelaces. Now, as a child, you're not thinking, Maybe I should, Maybe I should walk. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to be able to walk. We'll be back with more from Run the Jewels after the break. Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfield to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? How do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, what is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back with more from Killer Mike and LP. What was the first homegrown hip hop 
that you heard in Atlanta? Oh, Mojo. Mojo was the first one. Mojo was the first one, 82, 83. I think Mojo works for the city or something now, and um, people still show him love. But Mojo, again, was like my mother's style stuff. You know what I mean? The shit that hit um, later was still more mother's style stuff was Raheem the Dream. DJ, um, well, DJ Tunes was someone else. So then you get Raheem the Dream. So funny, I don't know any of these No, I got you coming, though. Then you got Shadi, who was a kid who was from Queens or the Bronx. I think Shadi might have been from the Bronx. Moved down south. He was on Luke Records. Shy D? Shy, yes, S-H-Y. Yeah, yeah, okay, I remember Exactly. So DJ Tunes who later discovered a guy named T.I. and created trap music, was his DJ. So Toon's like 15, 16 years old, right? After that, you got a guy named Sammy Sam, who has a record called Zone 3. That's an amazing, it's like Schooly D's, right? It's hardcore, describes Atlanta and Techwood homes. Can we, can we listen homes. to that right now? Do you mind? Because I don't know it, and I'd love yeah, to hear yeah, that's it. Fine, oh, yeah, that's fine. Let me just pull it up. I'm trying to find it on my YouTube, too. Sammy. Here it is, yeah. Hitman, you Sammy got it? Sam. Yeah, I'm trying to find the record. This is the Hitman when I'm looking for the set. Woo! Can you plug it in? All right, so this is Sammy Sam the Hitman. This this, this, and the record's on. Almost got a on. Just Ice flag. What year is this? This is um, 88. It's incredible. <laughs> you got to be good. What, this right here? <laughs> you could turn it up more. You can uh, up more. Yeah. It's a funny use of that side stick. And you can tell all this is directly influenced by Run DMC influence, clearly. Now this, so, so this is Sam, right? So, exactly. So now, there's a guy named Kilo Ali. He was out of Born Home Housing Projects, and he wrote this record while in juvenile. America has a problem. Cocaine. He was put on by two drug kingpins, and he was managed by a kid whose parents was a um, Muslim who owned a, a, a fish uh, fish ranch. So Raheem's was the fish um, was a was a fish restaurant that was Jarvis Ali was one of the um, kids. He actually managed Kilo. Kilo was put on by Big D and Tight, who were drug kingpins. Kilo had a song called Cocaine speaking against drug usage. It blew up. And his name was Kilo. His name was Kilo, <laughs> and later Kilo Ali, once he converted. <laughs> he is the beginning of what you will see stylistically accepted in Atlanta. So Drake 3000, of course, kind of brought melody you wanted to sing. That comes directly out of, in my opinion, the Kilo influence on through now to people like Young Thug and the singy type can style. You, can you play something from Kilo? You want to play Kilo? Yeah. It's another fascinating thing about hip hop is the localized nature of it. For sure. For America, sure. America, America has a problem. 
So this is bass music still. We're still Miami influenced. You can turn it up more. It's about loud to get. I love this sound too. This era of this sound is one of my favorites. That's good. One of the first guys that wasn't ashamed to kind of sing, he and and Kilo was creative than me. And then we had others. We had success and effect. Like I said, Shadi. I feel like Atlanta really got a sound with organized noise nowcasts. But these are the people in me who set the groundwork for it to happen. And he had one called Pizzy, which I've still tried to do this style to this day, and I have not been able to to master it to, to master the style. But it's um. He's like, boy, his own. That's why I'm frizzone. And that's no Lizzie. If you don't like it, then I tell you, catch a Flizzie. And it was so, it was almost slick Rick in yeah. its in its lightness and candor, but dead fucking seriousness yeah. of it. And um, yeah, Kilo to me is the prototype for the creativity that has become Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? And who officially gave us our sound, of course, was was out outcast. Yeah. But um Sammy Sam, Kilo, Success and Effect, the Hard Boys. Um, who does not get enough credit? I want to play this, and this is um, Ghetto Mafia, and I can say Ghetto Mafia was they were they were post Outcast or right along like right after them, but they had a record called Straight from the Deck that I still think is just one of the greatest rap records in the world. I hate you have to listen to commercials now before music, but they found a way. So these guys were from Decatur. And if you know anything about Atlanta, Atlanta is the city of Atlanta. And then you have surrounding areas, Decatur, College Park, Gwinnett County. So amigos of Gwinnett County, for instance, Decatur is um, Gucci, man, East Atlanta, the Decatur area. They used the Al Green beat, and they used a stutter pattern. Later, I used the stutter pattern in my first single. The, the Migos used the stutter pattern. But you can hear some of this stuff so good bluesy twangy you so know what good. i mean so that's atlanta man we you know we've been been having fun a long time making dope shit out Atlanta been Atlanta's run shit. You, yeah, I'm, you know what I love about Atlanta though? It it doesn't run shit in the in the way that it's been ran before. It doesn't throw its tail around. The old Southern saying you throwing its tail around like you're the biggest dog in the yard. It kills itself every two, three years and reinvents itself. 
Like if you look at the it last, it just means you years, have a progressive music scene, no yeah. matter what. On all levels, it's progressive from from dudes like Outkast to you know to to even to the street shit. You got rock music, yeah, which goes into rock music, which goes into you know the rock star, which goes into the snap movement. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. Shouty Low does not get his proper credit. Not only was he a rapper, he was the person as, as a as a drug game fiend that underwrote a genre of music. That whole snap and pop shit, like he underwrote those groups, much like Gucci does now. Gucci deserves credit not only as a rapper, but just as like a a mogul. He really has propelled a lot of careers, man. You know, so. I remember when I first heard Crunk, it, it blew my mind. I loved it. Crunk, yes, I so. loved it. Yeah, man. Mike, 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 Mike is a part of one of the seminal Crunk hits. Really, which one? I ain't never, never scared. scared. Wow. I ain't never scared. Wow. You play that to this day. Mike could literally go drop that. I used to watch your shows and be like, damn, this Never. record is... That was like one of the records I was jealous of yeah. and shit. Like, yeah, no. I, I, I ain't never scared. I, we rocked it a couple times together. I yeah, I, I really enjoyed getting past that moment. Not like I don't love it, but like as a musician, that was always one of my markers. Like, can yeah. I get enough records that I don't have to perform? You know what I'm saying? Dude, you know how you always have records you just pray you don't have to perform anymore yeah, after a while? I'm, yeah, I'm not mad at it, but I'm just like, can no, I but get eventually you just yeah. want to move yeah. on. Like, you're just like, it's every cycle of my career, I've been able to shed a couple that, like, I mean, here's the thing we're super lucky to be in that position that people consider Absolutely. jams from different phases of our career Absolutely. to be important Absolutely. to us. But, like, I've never liked looking back. I've all, cause it's always felt like a waste of time to me. It was yeah. always like, I was always desperately looking for the next idea. So there does come a point where you have to reconcile with that. Like you have to, you have to, you have to become okay with your, with, with even your, your, your musical output from your past, you know, like you have to make friends with it again, you yeah. know, because it is a party. It's the same, it's like, it's like the same way. It's like the same thing I'm learning about what therapy is. In, in other words, reconciling with who you were so that you can understand who you are now, being cool with it, knowing that that was what just happened. It wasn't that, you know, like a real obsession guy like myself when it comes to music couldn't go back and listen to one of my records and hear a thousand things that I wished I had done. I do the same. Yeah, I think everybody, I, I argue with Scarface for an hour, first of all, about like he had, like, I couldn't believe he's unsatisfied with his music. That's also the sign of why Scarface has a 32-year career and no whack albums. And style seems to be constantly progressing because... I believe in it, man. Yeah. I mean, here we are, and we're 44. Yeah, and, and we still, like, we're here tweaking two... Like, I, I literally, for a month, just like, I hate that verse. Came back and tweaked two bars and loved that verse because it wasn't about the verse. It was about those bars weren't right. Is you know it I mean? amazing how sometimes small details change your opinion of a whole thing? Everything. And also how delicate... When you do catch something mm -hmm. and then you try to improve upon it, how delicate that balance is. And sometimes you don't even know. Yeah. You breathe on it wrong and yeah. it goes away. Yeah. And yeah. you know, anyone who's been making, who, who makes records knows that despite the fact sometimes that you might be able to get a technically better version of something that you did, half the time, if not more, you just don't want to trade it for what the original, the soul. even if there was something that they you fucked yeah. up. Yeah. I said a word wrong, but the rest the of it is so, it's I can't, soul. I can't, I'm just gonna have to let it be what it is. Like, did Kurt really mean to say a mosquito, my libido? I think so. <laughs> or my but libido. But I'll tell you, Dizzy Gillespie, like, Dizzy Gillespie plays the, the sax. sax. <laughs> it was one of the greatest hip hop lines of all time because immediately it wasn't true. Yeah. It was just immediately not true. It was your first line. But it was fly as fuck. It doesn't even matter. 
even as a kid, and because I, I knew who Dizzy Gillespie was. Uh, there's one on our new record, and it sounded so good, I didn't give a fuck to correct it. What was it? Nah, it's, I, can't, I can't tell you. Whisper it to it's me. A, it's an Outkast reference. It named the members of Outkast, and it expanded the Oh, he, 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 yeah. But it's dope, and I do not want to change, because it's so dope. I was wondering about that. Yeah, no wonder, because it's dope funny but dizzy gillespie plays the sax there's, it's, no, it's no there's nothing more honest than saying that because it's just completely a lie it just has nothing to do with any it's like no truth and yet you're just and everybody who heard it was like this yep he does because because you just said that shit so cool swag, man. Swag. so fuck uh, it dizzy gillespie plays the sax when we come back we'll pick up with a discussion about killer mike and lp's lyrics We're back with Run the Jewels. You've managed to straddle uh, a boundary between talking about serious stuff, talking about political stuff, and also talking about gangster shit and yeah. crazy hip hop lyrics. Yeah. How 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 does it feel to to dance between the seriousness of the message and the fun of hip hop and love of hip hop? Man, I, it's it's one of the most liberating things to be allowed to do because I loved my public enemy. I loved my NWA and those extremes and I love Bismarcky. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And to be able to have a style that's gangster rap centered and based, um, heavily um revolutionary rap influenced by way of PE and Pac and and morality based in terms of Southern lyricists like terms of face being able to be that hybrid it's been an honor for me because most people you get accepted as a the the character you portray or the the part of the ego you personify and my man cuz lightyear shouts out to cuz lightyear in the back back there but cuz says man he's like he, he never lets me forget he's like hey you know you lucky cuz because you get to be you he said really people just so this what i am on record is really me and that's not saying you know i'm going out to fucking try to fight with 100 cops tomorrow but like, I am rebellious by nature. I'm also a fucking total jokester and shit talker. And if we sat in this room long enough and I'm bored, I'm going to pick up a book and just read until I go to sleep. You know, so I get to be the kid I actually was. Like, it was weird for me growing up being a kid, understanding the economics of, I want to go to the dance. I don't have sneakers. Sleepy knows how to make fake drugs. I can go sell them in my uncle, my uncle's neighborhood. And doing that to get the new Nikes and the fake gold chain for the dance, doing knowing how to do that, but still literally loving art. Like to the point I go to the museums and 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 literally loving rap music and under like so getting the chance to be that on record for me. I appreciate the fans for allowing me to because I think most human beings are that complex and we don't allow ourselves to be uh, publicly. We present whoever we want the public to think we are, interpret us as, and we do not show our total or willing to show us and, or allowed to do it. I think that also for us, me and Mike, there are, there are, there are only a few advantages to being in your 40s and, and in the current music lane, you know, as a rapper. And, and, you know, we don't talk about it that much and age isn't a big deal, but what it is is a collection of experiences. And, and we're, we're, we're at a point, I think, when we're, we're, with our records and, and where we are in our heads when we met up, we just, we had the same, we had the same 
perspective, which is we don't want to do records where we don't have the room to make jokes or we don't have the room to make uh, to cry <laughs> like, or we don't have the like like we, we, we don't want to present ourselves and, and, and we we're we're we just neither of us ever really did where we were this, where we chose an idea and decided to make that one idea exactly everything that we're supposed to do because if you if you, you really have to be careful man if when you're coming into this shit if you're if you are if you're doing that if you are choosing a thing just a thing and you're not punching out the walls like with the with, you know by definition with the variety of the different things that you can do when you present yourself to people you 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 are in very much danger of being a victim of the own thing that you created. The thing that you presented can come back to destroy you because if you if you're an artist, you're going to want to to say other things Evol- than, than you are absolutely. And that's literally what we do. I mean, in terms of as you know, on some human shit like that's that you know, that's the art thing. I think that's the modus operandi for an artist is is to be paying attention and. You want to you want to make an artist or you know someone who loves art is trying to make art expresses themselves that way. You want to you want to kill their spirit. Just just tell them that they can't change. <laughs> yeah. Tell them they can't change. And 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 so it's a delicate balance between knowing what what what's awesome about what you do and what people connected with. Yes. But also having no shame about being able to just make like a really stupid joke yeah. and then say something. And feeling good about it. And, and feeling yeah. great about it. Yeah. And, 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 and seeing literally absolutely no conflict about doing then something really poignant that is that actually does have meaning. And the two are completely related. Why? Because that's us, man. We're, we're, we're serious. We have we have real you know real concerns and real thoughts and, 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 and discussions uh, even, even in relation to our music. But we're also like, you know, but but comedy and 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 sort of a joyous perspective is, is just as much of a, 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 of a of a of a joy for us in, in what in what we do. And so we I'm so psyched that I get to be in a situation where we've where it's cool. It's like it's cool. There's no there's no expectation other than to do it to make it sound great. To make to, to, to do it so that it's real, so that it connects. And that, you know, and so, and, and, and it's terrifying to me to think that anyone would like stop us or, or, or wouldn't, you know, like there wasn't the room. No one's stopping you, of course, you know, it's a fear. It's not about the world's out to get you, but it's something that I'm really, I'm really happy about that. Like when I listen to me and Mike's music, I'm like, I like this because this, these are people, these are not. Yeah. This and is it, not an it idea. scratches it's not different itches. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of the things that I I, I see uh, as a limitation for certain artists who are very single focused in one place. After they've made a couple of albums like that, it's like what's left to do. Right, you, you, you got know, you nailed that. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> we've done you that. It. It's like now what? Like why is it interesting to talk about the same subject again for ten more songs? I don't know. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there has to be, you have to at least be looking at it, even if it's related to the same ideas yeah. from different perspectives. perspectives I agree, I agree. I agree. From all around, finding what's interesting about it now that wasn't there before when you wrote a song about a similar topic. I remember the song, wish I was a little bit taller, wish I was a baller, wish I had a, what I would call it. That record was so honest to me. At a time where and everything at the right time, yeah. yeah, everything had been so hard and hardcore that it was the perfect 
you know, every, there's there's insecurities with being a teenage boy. You know what I mean? There's insecurities with being a man. Period. And that song did it, and not in a whiny or what we would be considering hip hop a sucker way. Like yeah, yeah. it was just, you know, it was very honest. Like I that that um that 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 that's dope to me because if you look at what rules and rap now, it's the world to that perspective. To 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 the like I look at the top guys now. The top guys have a sensitivity that just wasn't allowed when I was that age. You know what I'm saying? And that's a dope thing. Now we express it in a different way. Like. We're, we're giving a sensitivity, and then next we might be shooting a dog on a porch, you know, just to make an old lady cry. And, and the ridiculousness. Because of the ridiculousness. Of it. Of it. Yeah, not exactly. Like, like we're, we're half real, you know, we, there's a half of a really human element to what we yeah. do that we're, and we, and we, and we really aren't afraid to tap into that. But the other half is the Blues Brothers fucking stumbling Absolutely. their way Absolutely. across America Absolutely. and getting into gunfights, you know? And they're like, and why? Just because this shit is fun to us. It's yeah. funny. That's you what know friends what I mean? do. Like, you know, it's yeah. it's it. So you know, and 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 I and I love that. I, I love I love like the relinquishing of self seriousness. You know, like I, I don't. I, I think that you're doomed if you're coming into art, thinking that you need to take yourself seriously all the time. Like that's a fucking trap. Like that's, you know, like if you can't just point at yourself and be, and, and it, even saying like saying something that you don't believe you know saying something hilarious if that it's you, a that good you, line if it and, it, and not in the sense of like you know but just being the ass like letting yourself for the sake of comedy be a complete fucking asshole of course like that's definitely in our wheelhouse <laughs> like the more asshole-ish the better like we you know we sit around and we just you know like what's the fucking the Danny Brown verse you know, for that the, you know the, 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 the yeah. three tears but that verse that record the Danny right, record right, right. That, that my verse was all about it was somebody I had watched on some fucking shit that was just shitting on black rappers and athletes. And I'm just like, God damn. Like, you expect this from Fox News. You expect it from the concern. Like, you look like my fucking aunt and uncle. Like, how are you shitting on me? And that's where that verse just came directly out of, you know what, man? Fuck y'all. Fuck this <laughs> shit. This ain't Killer Mike the activist. This is Michael. Fuck you, Render. And... <laughs> <laughs> And it is absolutely ridiculous. That record is an amazing record too, Jack, Danny, and uh, and, and well, Peg was it? You, yeah, you had brought him in yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob J. Peg. Yeah, brought J. Peg in and kick it with us. He's talented. Yeah, man. man, the the beat was, very original beat maker. Yo, it was it was very it was, original. It was wild as fuck to figure out that ride. Yeah. I like figuring out. Part of the reason I think I, I proclaim LP greatest rapper producer in one thing yeah. ever because I see him write the motherfucking raps yeah. and I see him develop these beats into something but a lot of times the beats ain't an easy ride now the ride is dope and it's there but we have to find it yes and you've seen this at this point you come back maybe three different like god damn that ain't it we got a son about it i don't like but that beat challenged me to find a ride yeah that i loved i came out of that motherfucker feeling like a better rapper like yeah, yeah. you know that's a yoko ono you tell you i think you told me that Sample, yeah, yeah. Shit is it's nuts. the beauty of the challenge when it forces you to go outside of your normal patterns yes Yes. You become That's better. Hey, and there's only an elite group of motherfuckers that can actually write, you know, you get, you know, that that like can find the pocket, you know? Like cause I was listening to it and yeah, I had to be like, you heard Danny's pocket. Yeah, and, yeah anyway, it's it's can we play I, it? I like Yeah, yeah, please, let's oh. play it. To cut the rock with no glove on, shove on, but a block develop a love joke. The reason why your hope got the rub burns. No limit, call me Mr. Sober. Work all day to the work gone. 
Talking back in the day when I had a truck phone. My nigga made a wrong turn, got flipped in the zone. Had to say I was a smoker just so I can go home. Every day another episode. I'm just trying to hear the beat like a vetoscope. Like my baseline's thick, like a Texas hoe. It was written, but the signature ain't not legible. Drink so much, I can drown the bitch on some other shit. A demon on the hunt, but a sucker bitch. Why you want some cuddle shit? Hit it, then fuck a bitch. I don't think you know who you're fucking with. I want to tell kids too, man, you know, shit. Fuck music reviewers and who wrote what. Listen to the song yourself That's it. and see what you think. Yeah. I, I I I I saw a review of this record. It's not our record. I don't particularly. Yeah, yeah. Besides thinking I got a dope verse, I don't have I don't have much skin in the game. But I saw a review give a lazy review on it. Like and I could and I went to to rap lyrics or quote rap quote or whatever. And I realized he had literally just read the lyrics, maybe listened to the song once, and only highlighted. Really, what was in the bars? I was just like, how lazy! And like, what tripped me out wow. about that punk ass reviewer yeah. is he failed to acknowledge Danny's Mr. Servon shout out, which in the no limit spectrum, if you really was a no limit guy, you that's like to me that's that rap nerd shit. Yeah. I'm coming to you, listening to you because I trust your punk ass, yeah. and you not even rap nerd enough to know Mr. Servon. And then from a street perspective. The most honest thing said on that record was when Danny said he had to act like a fiend to get out of getting arrested. I'm just like, this nigga's a genius. You know what I'm saying? And that's what you lose when when L hit the fucking triple Lindsay flip reference to dad and the, the mom. It's just like, how the fuck can you listen to that shit and not be like, oh, man, my fucking mind's blown. You know what I mean? And then and the, I think I- And the flows are so interesting over the beat. Absolutely. It's jazz. Exactly. It is jazz. Exactly. It's free, exactly. It's freestyle. That was what the beat did. The beat made us find a pocket and everyone found a different yeah, pocket. Man. It's three different styles you, trying to- With each verse, you hear the, the beat in a whole different absolutely. way. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's, 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 to me, that's what's lost in the, in the now of- like, man, it was so new. And not on some super nostalgic, it was all better than. It was just so new that it was fleeting. You didn't know if it'd be around much longer. Yes. So you took all of it serious. Facts. Like, not to the point of, all right, take it. Or just to like, yo, yo let listen. me learn this shit. Let me learn because I don't know how. Like, I remember, and I know you know it. They said, this shit's not going to be around for four oh years. Oh, my God, man. How and then it was, this shit's going to be around 10 years. Did and I, then, just making music, how many years did I have to get the same lecture from people, from old people, telling me every fucking time I fucking, anyone found out that I was doing this shit through my youth, you had to endure the lecture. Yep. And that was that some guy who knew, some older dude who just knew that it was just a waste of time. Oh, Trust me, kids. The it's, pan. Disco. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's disco. It's disco. Pick up oh, a guitar. We used to always catch Pick up a guitar. Disco. It's yeah. disco. I yeah. saw it. Yeah. I lived through it. You know what I mean? And you're just like, no. We even knew then. We were like, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's a new form of fucking music. I remember being told it wasn't even music because we talked. Of course. They still say that shit. Just like God. They still try and say that shit. And now, yeah. It's, and disco's know. not even gone for that matter. Nah. It's like disco's everywhere. Again, right. right. How the fuck you not jam some Donna Summer on a Sunday smoking with your wife, man? You know? Thanks to LP and Killer Mike for taking time away from making their new record to talk to Rick. Make sure to check for it once it drops wherever you get your music. You can hear more of their work together as Run the Jewels and their solo stuff by listening to our playlist for this episode at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And while you're there, sign up for our behind-the-scenes newsletter. 
Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Mia Lobel, and Leah Rose for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening. Bye.